Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week, we bring you disaster films that were ripped off by The Rock, The Towering Inferno, and Earthquake. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Hours early this week. Well, want you not, I'm, want you not worry I'm almost it. always here, sitting at my computer. <laughs> I just like to imagine like 6 o'clock rolls around and Noah just walks into his spare room and just sits down at the computer and stares at the screen and waits. Just, just sighing lonely uh. uh i don't know i was doing some stuff and i'm like well it's eight o'clock i probably shouldn't start doing anything else and sometimes you guys are early so i figured i'd hop on and see if anybody was early we could start early I mean, if you're complaining i can sign off and eat dinner and then come back yeah that'd be ideal actually if you don't mind are you serious no okay <laughs> i thought maybe your kid was still <laughs> no. up no that's <laughs> just like, doug oh. being a dick yeah. If it'd be way less convenient for you guys, I'm willing to go with it. <laughs> uh, anything else going on? Any fun, exciting things happen? No. Okay. Uh, hey, Doug, why don't you tell us about uh, the Towering Inferno? <laughs> okay. Um, because we decided to do disaster movies in the middle of World War Three. Is that why? Was, was that the theme? I thought the theme was movies that are long as fuck, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know these were this long when I put them on. I just knew I just knew the rock remade both of them. That's all I knew about them. <laughs> I think Re- I have seen them both before though, in retrospect. Remade slash just ripped off. Whatever. Yeah, yeah whatever. Same thing. Anyways, Towering Inferno is you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Noah's so angry about this. He got even he got even more mad when I pointed out over chat that Towering Inferno is the same length as Spider-Man No Way Home. Don't yep. you compare those? <laughs> and he's like, God damn it. <laughs> I just like how upset you guys are. This is I'm making not, me happy. I'm not upset. I uh, spoiler alert, I somewhat enjoyed both of them. So Okay. But it's funny. It's funny as long as Noah's upset. I'll take yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm enjoying it enough that I'm like not bothering to uh to, to do the actual review because it's <laughs> sort of funnier if he's just still upset, actually. Spoiler, it, it, it'll be funnier if I just make this review as long as the actual movie. Um anyways, the 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 plot description is basically the action movie equivalent to David Cronenberg shivers. Um <laughs> Because I think <laughs> listeners of this podcast are more likely to have seen that. 
that's not the two that I would have compared, but yeah, I guess that somewhat makes sense. It's um brand new luxury high rise building. Um, opening night, there's a big gala going on. Some of the residents have started to move into the upper floors because like floors 81 through 120 are residential or something. <laughs> and below that is business, which all feels a little bit exaggerated to me. It seems strange, but I don't really understand how high rises work in major cities. So. No, that's, that's um, pretty accurate. Okay. So anyways, the um, it turns out that somebody was like used the cheapest wiring possible on this giant building and it's funny when they start using numbers because they talk about like taking four million dollars off of the uh budget and i'm like what would four million dollars matter in the budget for a 120 story building but apparently it was a really big deal back then um i will say both these movies seem to have a weird skyscraper agenda of like we're making buildings too tall nowadays well yeah i mean they they flat out do that in this one. We can get into that. The theme in Towering Inferno is very much um, yeah. excessive luxury and needing to be the biggest and why. Um, but anyways, like long short of it is a fire breaks out and the entire movie is rescue cues crews trying to get in. Paul Newman, who plays the architect that designed the building, is both physically just running into apartments to rescue people, but also helping communicate with the fire department to be the, uh, to coordinate rescue and to, uh, help try to stop the fire, but they are unsuccessful and the fire eventually consumes the building. But most of the people get out safe because, uh, they literally just blow up water tanks that were up on the, towards the roof of the building and allow them to, the water to just fall through the rest of the building, putting out most of the fire, but destroying the building in the process. This movie is the perfect summation of society in general, but specifically nowadays. Yeah. Which is at some point, somebody who's an expert in something says, okay, folks, if we do stuff this way and specifically this way, we should be okay. And as long as we don't panic and everybody's calm, I think everything's going to be okay. And then some w- white rich asshole shoves a bunch of people out of the way, says, no, me first. And then fucks it up for everybody else. Cause that well, yeah. happens like 10 times in this movie. Yes. And it, it's also, you know, a bunch of experts are explaining exactly how to build something so that it'll be structurally sound and safe. And then the businessmen go, "Eh, but what if we saved a few dollars on construction costs, though? (laughs) And it's like, okay, but don't do that for the wiring in a 120-story building, because otherwise it's going to cause a fire, and you're going to be relying on O.J. Simpson to fucking put it out, and that's not a good idea. (laughs) No. He's probably going to murder half the people in the building before it's all said and done. (laughs) You guys remember when O.J. was in this movie? and you think about it like i'm sure people went to the movies and was like oh yeah look it's oj simpson my favorite football player because he was still playing at the time it's so weird because people were like oh he was a football player but now he's an actor and now we're like oh he was an actor but then he was a murderer and then we're like oh he's a kidnapper who used to be a murderer Uh, fucking OJ. <laughs> Anyways, so 
if nothing else, the cast in this movie is amazing. Phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Like every yeah. person is somebody. <laughs> Even if they're they're not really known for like stuff nowadays, like back in the seventies. This well, yeah, had to I mean, be like the fucking Avengers Endgame of like movies for those people. It was. And that is kind of our, our subplot of uh our sub like topic for this week is like both of these movies were these huge event movies that were coming out at the time. It came out like just, a couple couple months from each other. Yeah. And it's it gets weird because they're right before Jaws, which is the kickoff of the summer blockbuster concept right but uh, yeah, i had read somewhere that the towering inferno was the last like big movie before jaws hit and then blew everything up that that basically was like yeah. yeah towering inferno wasn't a big movie jaws is a big movie yeah and it's it's so, it's so weird that like these movies were clearly designed to be this giant event thing and there's even like the um We'll get into it with with the, I think it, I think it was the next movie, not this one. That we'll get into some of the details about like how it was actually specifically designed again to be used in home in home release and stuff, which pretty rare back then. Um, but it's fascinating that they were making this kind of movie back before blockbusters existed, because everything is a giant set piece. Like especially Towering Inferno, it is just action sequence after action sequence after action sequence with just like enough dialogue to keep the plot moving along. It's very much, it's more like infinity war than Endgame When you think about it from that perspective, it's insane. And I can't, I can't, uh, I was just, I was shocked by how quickly it moved along, despite the fact that it is almost three hours long. I would, I would agree with that to a, a certain extent. Although then there's a bunch of like weird lingering moments in it that you're like, well, this movie's fucking two hours and 45 fucking minutes. Did we really need that five and a half minute fucking helicopter intro to this fucking movie? Like Wait. whenever it's two hours and 45 minutes fucking long, you couldn't cut that shit. All right. <laughs> I'm glad you're upset, Noah. Don't let me, <laughs> but I like, I will agree with you that when that opening helicopter shot was happening, I was sitting here going, oh, my God, like, what have I gotten myself into? Because it's like a long ass opening shot. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, OK, maybe in 1974, helicopters were a big deal. Now there's like a guy in my neighborhood that does helicopter tours. It's really not that big a deal anymore to see <laughs> helicopter shots. But I feel like, yeah, that was and that that introduction made me nervous because it, it's what made me understand that, hey, we're watching a spectacle here. We're just look. We're just here for the set pieces and the action moments and the, the big explosions and everything. And I'm like, that makes me nervous when you're watching a 1974 movie about that. Once they get into the building and that first fire starts and that first motherfucker gets burned alive, and I'm just like, watching him crawl around on fire like that. I'm like, okay, they're all in on this. They're all in on this concept of we're gonna watch this building collapse with all these people in it. And I, it really caught my attention a lot more. But I, yeah, you're not wrong about the way too long opening helicopter sequence. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that is really drawn out. Like when... Well, uh, it, w- uh, it was 1974. Yeah, but there's like... Uh, when Paul Duman is like trying to go 
So now I'm trying to remember. Was he trying to go down the steps or up the steps? And there's like an explosion. Oh, he's trying to go down, but there was like an explosion and the <laughs> railing is like hanging down. And we spend the next like 20 minutes watching him very slowly climb down this railing to try to get to the next level. And then he's like, all right. And then he's like, okay, I got to go back up and get this kid. So then he climbs back up, grabs his kid, climbs back down, and then, cl- and then like talks the woman into climbing herself down too. And it takes like four fucking ever. Oh my God. It's yes. I was, was going to say, speak, speaking of that scene, this movie has way too much architectural safety and design information. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I get it. I, I get that. Like at the beginning of the movie, you know, he's like, no, you don't understand this wiring's code, but it's going to heat up because the building's too big. We have to go further than that. But by the end, they're like, Ah, see, they ran gas lines through the stairwells in order to save money to not run them through the walls. But now (laughs) all the stairwells are exploding. (laughs) You're like, well, yeah, don't run gas through the stairwell. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But they saved uh, like four million dollars now. Two two million was on the wiring and I think it was four million total. So, yeah. And they really go after the guy for the wiring. At least they know that one was like, they're like when uh, the big boss guy turns to like the cheapskate that cut corners on the wiring and is like, what the hell did you do? Did you seriously not use the right wiring that the architect says you should have used? And they're like, ah, shit, you're right. I did do that. (laughs) Now, we're talking about how that was a lot of pointless information, but weirdly, couple years after this movie there was a uh, building in taiwan uh some other foreign country that actually caught fire Racist. that actually caught fire for the exact same reason they they cheaped out on the wiring and it started fires throughout the entire building and killed like 140 people well okay I'll push back on what you said there, though. You said it's useless information and you may not have found it particularly interesting, but it's all useful. It explains what's going on in the building. And I feel like if you paid close enough attention, which I admit I didn't, I feel like you could actually follow the way the fire was moving around the building and it actually felt like it was making sense. Mm -hmm. If you pay too much attention, you might find flaws in that, but no, no, I'm not saying it's useless information. I'm going off what Noah said when he said there's too much architectural uh, information it's, in this movie. It's not It's not that they give it to you. It's that it's too detailed. It's like, I don't, I don't need a lesson. Just say, ah, <laughs> uh, shitty wiring fucked all this up. But instead, again, yeah, they, they kind of go but, into detail about. Again, it was the 70s. They liked, they liked to meander. They liked to take their time with filmmaking back then. But I feel like it almost plays out like in real time. Yeah. Like the fire kind of starts and then you're kind of with everybody like the entire time till shit goes till, you know, like you said, they blow the tanks up top and then it finally puts the fire out. So, yeah, it's it is interesting how you can feel how this is like a transitional movie moving from, you know, the what what movies were in the 70s to the blockbusters. Because the set pieces are really are like a lot of the actiony stuff is still hammy, but 
it's pretty good. And man, some of the uh, people's death scenes and stuff is fucking gnarly. Yeah. There's the, there's the two different burn scenes, and it's like, like is Kane Hodder the stunt coordinator on this? Because they don't give a <laughs> fuck about the safety of those stuntmen. They lit those people on fire and they let them burn for a long time. Like it is, and that one guy, like he's on fire, and it's like it's pretty funny because they have the actor put the coat over his head, and then all of a sudden we're filming from a little bit of a distance, and there's a stuntman with a coat over his head. But when he gets lit. And he wanders around for a while, and then that's not good enough. They also have him walk up to like a glass railing, and he breaks through it and falls as well. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I mean, it's cool. It looks great. But I'm like, how did you convince a guy to do that? <laughs> well, it's funny, too, whatever, like, it's, I don't know, a lot of this stuff's so bleak, in which I guess it's a 70s movie, and 70s movies are kind of, that's there. Yeah their thing is bleakness but uh the scene toward the end of the movie where he turns on the gravity brakes of the external elevator to try to get those people down yeah. and uh another fucking explosion happens and it tilts in one of the characters who we've been following the entire fucking movie that that woman who's went to rescue those kids and is like one of the big hero people gets just unceremoniously chucked out of that elevator and then mm -hmm. clips one of the balconies as she's falling. Like, oh. it's, it's visceral. You're like, fuck! <laughs> I was almost like, why? Well, I'm surprised they did not do another take because that seems like something that they would just be like, uh, yeah, we can't use that. That's fucked up. Because that fucking miniature doll sure does hit her head right on that fucking side of the building. Jesus. Yeah, she 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 uh, clangs. She clangs mm -hmm. off that bitch. <laughs> she nightmare cities it right off the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it was well done. I can't argue that it's not well done. Yeah, we get the typical like Paul Newman, like we mentioned, he's the architect and he's just like, Oh, some shit's going down. We got a fire bad guy's like but we can't break up our party because there's a fire in the building take yeah. care of it it'll be fine <laughs> i'm just like jesus christ this is the fourth of july and those beaches will be open pretty much and that wasn't even gonna happen for another year <laughs> and they still copy it's... jaws somehow <laughs> preemptively <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess rich assholes putting money ahead of human safety has just always been a thing. Yeah. I just like that yeah, there's like, like a, an elevator that they can use. To, I don't know, it's an express elevator, I think. And people are just like, oh, yeah, let's go there. And they just start shoving people out of the way to, like, run into it. And it closes. I do, I do love that they keep giving every time they tell them a safety thing. Every Just time immediately they ignore it. They're like, don't take this elevator. The fire will make it stop on that floor. And then they get in and it's like the door opens like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no shit. Well, they told you exactly what would happen. Come on, guys. <laughs> And then yeah, they all well. die in the elevator and the elevator comes back up and just opens the door to a bunch of fried dead bodies for everybody else to gasp at. Oh, <sighs> Yeah, that was fun. I like that part. 
Because <laughs> it, was, it wasn't just the people dying that was fun. It was also the other people being mortified by the death. That's enjoyable to watch. Yeah. I. This is one of those movies for sure that I wish I could have been in a movie theater in 1974 to watch an audience's reaction to it because it's got like, you know, it's got your Paul Newman's and all these types of people in it. And you're just sort of like, okay, so you know what type of an audience that's going to attract. There was a bunch of like married couples who dropped the kids off with the grandparents and went to see the big movie. (laughs) And (laughs) they're watching these fried bodies there, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's another one of these things. So obviously I think we all, know that Paul Newman is a fucking good actor. Like, yeah. th- no, that's not a controversial statement, but I think he really fucking puts it in, in this movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, cause apparently Steve McQueen was in it. He was hired first. And Steve McQueen, you know, big name actor, uh, was, didn't really want Paul Newman. He wanted someone else to be in it because he wanted to be the main attraction, but they hired Paul Newman. He's like, fuck. So then his agent got involved and it came down. They started negotiating. Fucking Steve McQueen and Paul Newman had to have the exact same amount of lines in the movie. So that one wasn't like above the other one. Jesus fucking Christ. And apparently, apparently Steve, Steve McQueen has been pushing this rivalry forever. And Paul Newman's like, I don't give a fuck. I ain't got no rivalry. But Steve McQueen was like, no, we're rivals now. And you know, we're both going to be in this movie. We have to have the same amount of lines. But apparently, after the, when they worked together, they became really good friends, and that kind of fell off after this movie. But Jesus Christ, he was kind of a diva before they started filming. Well, The Rock ripped that off too, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> not the same shit he's got going on with Vin Diesel. He sounds about right. All right. Um, so, uh, other than the length, does anybody have any real criticisms of this movie? Because I really, I really don't like like that opening. Like whatever it is, twenty-two minutes of just a helicopter flying around. I, I could do without that. But once they get to the building, I'm like, okay, I'm in it now. And like I say, they start. They do a really good job. I find at the beginning of as we're dealing with like getting to know the characters, and there's like a party going on, and it's like I don't, I don't want to watch people go to a party for an hour. But we cut away every now and again to like, oh look, there's a fire. Oh, look, OJ's trying to call in the help, but something in the system isn't working. You know, that one guy gets burned. Like, we, we're, we're constantly going back to the disaster element and reminding us that, hey, hang on for a few minutes and this building's going to be on fire and you get to watch all those rich people die. And it's like, I, I feel that they do a good job of that and then they do a good job of just kind of building and building and building until, like, at the very end when the building is just utterly destroyed. You're like, yeah, I guess we've got to watch that whole thing go down, like, floor at a time, so... <laughs> yeah, the only I I think the only thing I maybe wasn't super into in the movie is the the end. The whole blowing up the water tanks on the upper level well, or to flood the whole building. It's like like I I kind of get it, but at the same time it's kind of fucking silly and weird. Did did I miss a line of dialogue? Did they explain why there's water tanks up there? Well, yeah. Those are, well those are like the cistern tanks. Okay, but they didn't say that in the movie with all so, the detailed knowledge that they give us of the architecture. Well, no, they, they kind of explain where they're at. So in in big, tall buildings like that, there isn't enough water pressure 
to like pump water up through the building all the time. So they like pump it up to the top of the building and then it goes down. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They use gravity for, for a lot of stuff to save on. Yeah. Pumping water and stuff like that. Yeah. No, the system makes sense to me. I just, I don't know that it was stated in the movie. So I'm wondering if it was just a common thing back then. It just might, might know. still be well, full, not, I know. Not super yeah. common. You know what the funny thing is? Is So Char kind of was in the room while I was watching this. And of course, she, she hates it because she doesn't like stressful movies. And this movie's just <laughs> two, two, two hours and 45 minutes. It's just stress. a fucking muscle knot the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. But she was like, you know what? If you made this today, people would freak out over the, uh, you know, because of the Twin Towers and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, you know what? That is interesting. And then I looked it up in the books yeah. that this movie is based off of. were both basically inspired by the building of the Twin Towers. <laughs> so yep. this this literally is a surrogate for the North Tower. All right. Yeah, there's some weird stuff. So, like you said, this was based on two books. Yeah. And the reasoning. The Glass Tower and the. The Glass Inferno. The Glass Inferno and the Tower. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is why they kind of just combine their names into making the Towering Inferno. Um, But it was weird because it's a uh, Deep Impact Armageddon situation. Where Fox and Warner Brothers both bought separate books. And we're going to make essentially this movie and they didn't want to, they, they decided they didn't want to have competing movies. So they just teamed up and each company paid like half the budget or whatever, which is why I think the sets and stuff are so spectacular and a lot of the set pieces. And so, and it was the first time like studios had really done that on that scale. So it was kind of a weird, like big, big thing, which is, I guess is why they made this such a big, bad movie. Hmm. That explains it. I thought they just needed two books to get to the length. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then the other weird piece of trivia is, uh, I don't remember his name, but a novelist went and saw, went and saw this movie and then went home and had a nightmare about a guy chasing another guy through a skyscraper with a gun. And he turned it into a book, which then got bought and turned into the movie Die Hard. Nice. That's fun. So, uh, yeah. I don't know. Any any favorite parts of the movie? Uh, like I said, the guys on fire was definitely the, there's mm-hmm. the two of them, and I I feel sorry for those stuntmen because obviously no health and safety standards on set at all, but it looked cool <laughs> in the movie. I don't. I I have trouble believing either of those stunts went off without the guy getting hurt. <laughs> But I don't know the guys, so it's worth it. Um, I like seeing the smug asshole end up dying at the end. I kind of yeah, like the fact nice. that he just over and over and over again is being a douchebag, and it keeps like burning him over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> so and I we, really, we can... really like it when the rich, the rich building owner, who, while like admittedly he made mistakes and stuff, I think. There's this whole thing of he's not just an evil piece of shit. He really is concerned about people's safety. Yeah. He just didn't take it seriously enough at first. But man, whenever he gut punches that guy, <laughs> it's real good. 
Because he oh, warns him about it earlier. He's like, so help me God, I'm going to punch you. <laughs> <laughs> the rich building owner is an interesting guy in the movie, too, though, because he's he's the classic, like, get it done kind of guy. Like, I'm going to cut money off the budget. And I'm going to insist that you get it done. And then I'm going to hold you accountable if anything goes wrong. And it's like, well, you're the one that cut the budget. And he's like, yeah, but I didn't know you were going to use unsafe wiring. And it's like, you could have asked that question. And it is sort of like the whole thing where it's like, yeah, he does care about people's safety, but not enough to have made sure the building was safe, which would have been the thing to do. Right. It's very strange. And I think it's, I think it's an interesting kind of comment on like when you see a lot of like rich philanthropist types and you're like, okay, so you have this, you know, indemnity where you put your money in and you donate some of it to charity and stuff, but you could just not be a dick as well if you wanted, but they can't do that. So <laughs> so it's always, it's always stuff like that with, with the rich and powerful. It's always like, Oh no, I genuinely care about people's safety. It could cost you a dollar fifty more. No, no, then I can't do it. Sorry. And then act shocked and act and blame everybody else when it goes wrong. I was, I think, I think maybe my favorite part of the movie because it's such a fucking ridiculous thing is whenever they come up that service stairwell and there's a door that can't be opened because somebody had a fucking wheelbarrow full of concrete sitting in the stairwell for some reason, and it had <laughs> fallen over and fully cured into hard concrete in front of the door. I don't know much about building a building, but. I cannot for the life of me think of any reason why somebody would have a wheelbarrow full of concrete in the fucking stairwell, like in this <laughs> up near the three top foot <laughs> by three foot area. Yeah. All the way at the top of the fucking building too. Yeah. yeah. It's fucking nuts. And then they're like, well, we can't really do anything. We're just gonna have to blow it up. Fucking firefighters just pull out C4. I love the fact well, that the firefighters are just carrying around explosives. <laughs> it was, I, it must have, like, I think today we know a lot more about how the world works than people used to. And, like, you know, we just have access to a lot more information with the internet and everything else and just 24 hour news. But in 1974, it must have blown people's minds the idea that there's a building and it's on fire. And then that happens what, 20 minutes into the movie. And for the next two hours and 20 minutes, firefighters are still in there and they're moving around and they're like even setting up like they're coordinating from inside the building that's on fire. Like it's very it's must have been kind of mind blowing to people who knew nothing about this kind of thing going in, who didn't, you know, see 9-11 on TV and stuff like that, who had just the idea that you're in this building, you're still taking elevators, even though there's a fire, you know, they're intentionally blowing things up to help put the fire out instead of <laughs> or to rescue people. I imagine that was something else to experience. Yeah, even me watching it, I was just like, well, I mean, I guess they could set up the communication center and like 30 floors below where the fire is, but it still seemed yeah. awfully weird. It's but I think it's more accurate well, I, than you think. I was going to oh, say. Oh, no, I, I think yeah. it's very accurate. It's just well, I was watching the, it and just like, this is strange, but that makes sense. I'm assuming it's a nightmare. I really like the uh, the fire chief. Steve uh, McQueen? Yeah, Steve McQueen's character because uh, I don't know. There's just there's just a lot to it I like. But I, I really dig at the beginning of the movie when the fire first starts and he like whatever he shows up, he tells him. 
you know, we keep telling these building developers we cannot effectively fight a fire once it's over the seventh floor of a building. And you people keep building these giant fucking skyscrapers. <laughs> and then he's like proven right, like an oracle, because the fire starts and it's not even that big of a fire. And then it's just everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah, and I think there's supposed to be some commentary in the film about just how society always wants things bigger and more luxurious and, you know, always trying to make things that one step better than the last one. And somewhere along the lines, it's like, well, it's going to blow up in your face because there's a reason why, you know, like there's a reason why buildings aren't supposed to be that big. And yet we still do it. And eventually everything's going to backfire. Um, so the interesting thing is, I don't know if you guys remember, um, I don't know. Maybe you do. I don't know why I'm wandering about it so hard, but so back in the day they would do like big movie releases like this. And then there'd be a weird TV movie. that would be somewhat similar. It would try to come out before it. It's it's weird. It's like the asylum, but it was even before the asylum like was around. It would be like the early eighties. There'd be some like, you know, big movie event, but also there's some weird TV movie that some network commissioned to try to glom some attention off from this big movie. Um, well, before the towering inferno aired, there was a movie called terror on the 40th floor on TV. Right. But this one gathered a bunch of TV personalities and had them all in a fire. <laughs> fire I didn't know that. I've heard of the movie, but I didn't know that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, the only one I directly recognize is John Forsyth from Charlie's Angels and uh, Dynasty fame. And I'm sure all these other people are famous TV people from the time, but I have no idea like who they are. But yeah, <clears throat> so they tried to pull off. The, it, it, they literally aired it right before the Towering Inferno came out. That's trying right. Trying to, try to, try to get that. No, don't go to the movies. You could stay home and watch it on your TV. Yeah, it says a number of business people keeping the Christmas Eve party going longer than what was originally intended are beset by a fire that starts at the basement of their office building and creeps up at them from floor to floor. I don't know. I somehow kind of love that. <laughs> this is only an hour and a half, though. So, yeah. Oh, so we no, should watch that. I don't know. Well, if there's a. TV movie about earthquakes. We'll team them up for a follow-up episode. <laughs> well, I'm sure there is. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anything else? I guess we should run on the cast. We didn't really talk about the cast in this movie. Well, it's hard because I, there's a lot of names in it that I know are famous. Mm-hmm. But then as they're on the screen, I don't know who they are. Like, I know like this name is in this movie, and I know that face is in this movie, and I know that I'm supposed to know who that person is. But there are a lot of names that were bigger at the time and kind of leading up to 1974. So there are people I don't every, really recognize. Every actor that was uh, known and knowable and available <laughs> in the 1970s was in this movie, except for Charles Tenast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got Paul, Paul Newman and Steve McQueen, which we talked about. Faye Dunaway was in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fred Astaire, who is a famous dancer guy on tv uh he somehow danced and that made him famous i don't understand how things worked back then no 
Uh, Richard Chamberlain, he was the smarmy rich asshole that dies on that weird chair swing thing because he's an idiot. Yeah. Uh, also, let's sidetrack. Sure. That is the most unsafe, terrifying thing I've ever seen. <laughs> if they I were like, it. you're going to burn to death or you're going to get in this PVC chair suspended 95 floors above hard concrete, I would be like, I'm just going to inhale the smoke. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, we got OJ Simpson. Uh, we got Robert Vaughn. He's the guy who wraps the coat around his head and then jumps out the window. Yep. Uh, Robert Wagner, who's seen that guy, but don't even know what he's from. No, I, I know that name, but it's... Uh, I've clicked so on a couple of their IMDb's, but it says, like, their best-known thing is the Towering Inferno. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot. I forgot Robert Wagner was also in Austin Powers, so... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's number two. Yeah. So if that helps anybody. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, I don't recognize anybody else, but yeah, just a bunch of fucking, like I said. And just like a lot of, Avengers a lot of faces game. I know, yeah, faces I know from like watching reruns of 70s shows when I was growing up in the 80s, but I don't know who they were, but I know that other people were excited to see them on the TV shows. <laughs> so. And then weirdly, uh, during the 80s and 90s, this movie on Swedish TV used to be shown on New Year's Eve just after midnight. So I don't know what that means. Swedish TV was like, ah, it's New Year's. Let's show a bunch of people dying in a building fire every nope. year for some reason. After midnight, too. I know. It's so I guess weird. maybe they celebrate things really late there. I guess. Is that anything? Maybe. Um, yeah, so I think i really enjoyed this movie it, it is really fucking long though yeah i i enjoyed it um quite a bit i do think it's it's from its time and so it's before they knew how to make blockbuster movies mm. um and therefore it is a little too long and there's like say like noah's not wrong when he says there's a little bit too specific dialogue i think you could have a few of those scenes where you just trust the audience to know that having gas run through a uh, stairwell is wrong like <laughs> you don't have to have that argument about it but there are still moments in it that are uh, where I think some of the information they give really adds a sense of realism to the movie so I don't want to, wouldn't want to take it all out yeah well and some of it I get why they drag it out like the firefighting scenes they're like showing you what they really have to do like whenever they're shooting all that water up into the ceilings and then they have to tear the ceilings down because they're just filling up with water yeah. And again, I think stuff like that was probably fascinating to an audience that has that's that's all, this might be the first time they've heard of stuff like that. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, nowadays, I think people are would be less surprised to see that element of it. And therefore, you don't need to spend so much time on it. But that was all part of the experience of going to this movie when it came out. Uh, oh, <laughs> I wanted to talk about Fred Astaire's character. He's the uh, he's the weird con man in the movie who okay. is meeting this woman at this party and his plan is to try to get her to buy a bunch of shares of yeah whatever fake thing he's got. And then yeah. like how you know two thirds of the way through the movie he confesses to her what's going on because they've kind of built this relationship based on you know maybe almost burning to death. 
and they've really come to like each other and she's okay with it. She forgives him. She's still like in love with them. And he's like, this is great. Like, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then she totally fucking dies. And then she did... pinballs off the side of that building. <laughs> yep. Ow. She's the one who falls and hits the building. And he mm. doesn't find out until the very end of the movie. So, you know, whenever she was leaving, he said he'd see her, uh, you know, down on the ground or whatever. And so he's looking around, looking for her. And it's this weird, like, character arc where he was like, I'm a con man. I'm a charlatan. She still loved me. That was going to turn him around. He was going to become a better person. And I feel like after this movie, he's just like, nah, fuck that. Nothing matters. I'm just bilking everybody for their goddamn money. Like, he didn't... <laughs> Even though they tried to make it seem like maybe he had turned himself around, I'm like, there's no way. He would be more, like, upset and angry. Char was <laughs> obsessing over that woman's cat the entire movie. Oh, yeah. And she was like, is the movie going to end with, you know, her being handed that cat? And I was like, nope, it ended up with her five-minute <laughs> boyfriend being handed that cat at the end of the movie. Yeah, what a that's... great, what a great, horrible, depressing burden to give someone. <laughs> this was your girlfriend's cat. Now you have to take care of it and remember every day that she's dead. Yeah. Look at, look at this and remember this horrible day forever. <laughs> yeah. That cat's being dropped off at a shelter somewhere in a box. Hopefully I just found it weird. I just like, there's no way he comes out of this as like a good person. He's just like, no, now I'm more angry. I'm just going to steal more people's money. Yeah. Uh, all right. Should we move on to the next movie that Doug didn't watch? Well, that's a bit misleading. <laughs> I watched I watched the first night of the two-part television version of this movie. Yeah? So did you guys know that this movie was cut into, was made into a television event by adding, making it... Um, long enough to take up two movies and (laughs) adding in a lot of stuff that was quite boring and also some weird footage at the beginning of it of just like something from national geographic explaining what fault lines are (laughs) jesus (laughs) um but yeah, no, uh, I had a heck of a time finding this movie. I find that funny that it sounds like they tried to make it educational when this movie is far from like, like it's it starts off on kind of the same trajectory that Towering Inferno did, and then it like takes a hard left, and it's like, no, Lord of the Flies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you though, in in the in the television version, the earthquake itself doesn't happen until the end of the first night, or roughly an hour and fifteen minutes in, without commercials. Jesus. Yeah, so if that, about, if that tells about, you that it was about at, an hour, it was about 58 minutes in when the earthquake hit on the version, okay. uh, the regular movie version I watched. So it's, yeah, it is, it's a little rough. Make it through that first half of that TV version. I'll tell you that much. All right. Well, Noah, why don't you run down earthquake? Uh, so there's some people and then there's an earthquake and it gets all Lord of the flies. <laughs> okay. End, end of plot. Like there's some side plots and shit that involve this dude, uh, talking to his wife really badly. <laughs> yeah. Like even if they're in an unhappy marriage and stuff, you're like, dude, 
get oh. a divorce and quit being a motherfucker because <laughs> you're the devil. Well, he can't because his boss is his father-in-law. Oh, my God. It's just madness. He's basically like, I'm stuck in this marriage with you, you fucking horrid skank. You know? <laughs> well, look, look, just, just to clarify how much of a garbage human being he is, we say, like, oh, he's stuck there because his boss is his father-in-law. But then the father-in-law has lines of dialogue where he's yeah. like, this guy could go to any other company and easily get a job if he wanted to. And so we have to be nice to him because he has all the power in this relationship. <laughs> so he's he's just being mean for the sake of being mean. It's not he's not stuck at all. <laughs> did, did we mention uh, that it's it's the one person that was missing from the other movie, which <laughs> good old Chuck Heston, who while there are movies that he's in that uh, I like. He is a terrible person in this movie and a terrible person in life. <laughs> like <laughs> he was a piece of shit. Well, uh, to just, top just, it off, like just wait, Doug, till you find out how their marriage, how their marriage resolves by the end of this movie. Yeah, I have seen this a long time ago. I, I didn't think I had seen either one of these movies until I started watching them and realized I have. Um <laughs> But yeah, watching him in the first half where he's just like he's cheating on his wife and everything. And it's already Charlton Heston. He's not that good of an actor. So like, yeah, you hired Oof. him for like the, the action. Shots, part of the, of, shots fired. I, I my stance on Charlton Heston is well known at this point. Oh, okay. um, but yeah, like even, even is, in Wayne's World, too. Hmm? Well, but didn't he have like so, one line of dialogue in that? Yeah, that's that was the whole joke. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> the brightest the brightest point in Charlton Heston's career is Planet of the Apes, and that movie is not good because Charlton Heston is in it. No, if anything, he he hurts that movie. I don't understand Charlton Heston's appeal at all. But that's not my point is to see him then being bad at acting as a shitty person. It's like, why do I want to watch this? Like, wouldn't the point? In my mind, the point of making a disaster movie is you want to kind of like some of the characters going into the disaster, so you're rooting for them to survive it. And I don't know that that was the case here. Well, the good news is he doesn't survive it. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was weird. I was just sitting there watching it. And so, I don't know. We're jumping to the end of the movie, but there's this big dramatic scene where people are trapped in like a underground section and Good old Chuck finds a way to like jackhammer through the wall and get everybody out. But his wife and his girlfriend were both in there. And just as they're all getting escaping up through a manhole, uh, the dam breaks and the water comes rushing in. And he has this moment where his wife gets swept away and he looks and he's like, well, could just let her go and live and be happy with my girlfriend. But. Uh, that's not how Chuck rolls. So he runs, he swims out to try to get her, but they both get swept away and they both die. Yeah, well. <laughs> it's just like I was sitting there, like, really? And then, you know, we cut to the okay, they're swept away. We cut to the top side. People are kind of like, holy shit, this was a crazy day, or you know, whatever. And I'm like, okay, so like another manhole covered down, he's gonna pop up, be like, I'm okay, but he never does. And I was oh, kind of shocked. Said. 70s. <laughs> 70s movies don't do that. Yeah, but I figured he was Chuck Heston. And he would have been like, nah, did, my character's got to live. Did, did we mention that there is a 
very long section of this movie where a woman is being held captive by a soldier who's clearly lost his fucking mind and is like, I own you now. This is, which is this is chaos, and I am now king of the wasteland. <laughs> and which is you fucking weird. It seems like it comes out of nowhere. I mean, they they sort of give you a hint that this guy's kind of weird and has a crush on her because he runs a grocery store and she's shopping and doesn't have enough money. So he's like, oh, it's okay. Just bring it by some other time. But then, like, he goes home. He gets harassed by his, I don't know, his roommates. Other people just hanging out in front of his house about being a reservist, which is weird. Maybe that's a Vietnam thing since people hated soldiers back then. But and then, like, all of a sudden, he's just like, I'm fucking nuts. It's just like, Jesus Christ. Like, he just it's... starts mowing people down with a machine gun. Yeah, I think the ridiculousness of this movie, the pace is kind of set when toward the beginning of the movie, we get that scene where the uh, elevator comes down and it's like full of water. The dude is drowned. in there. <laughs> That's so amazing. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to go down and check part of this dam to make sure that it hasn't been, uh, you know, cracked or whatever. And then like 10 minutes go by as the guy does other stuff and he comes back, the doors open. He just, his body comes flooding out like in the fucking shining or something. I was oh my like, God. oh, that's so this is that kind of thing. <laughs> I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> I just imagine him going down there and all of a sudden, like the the elevator just starts flooding. He's like, oh, it's fuck. There's all sorts of stuff I love. So like in the uh, in Towering Inferno, we spent most of the movie with uh, various people in the movie berating other people over substandard building stuff. And then this movie's kind of the opposite where they're like inspecting the dam and they're like, there's a giant fucking crack in this dam. And they're like, listen, concrete fucking has cracks in it. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) I kept waiting for the the dam engineers to become the main characters of this movie because it seemed like that'd be a big deal. And then they're like, nah. It was funny, though. Oh, yeah, people are just like, oh, dams have lasted for days with cracks in them. No big deal. We don't need to worry about that. Uh, we forgot to mention George Kennedy play, plays a cop who basically gets suspended for being a good cop. Yep. And so he spends his day drinking at a bar with uh, fucking Walter Matthau. He just gives up on life as soon as they suspend him. He's just like, fuck this. I'll be at the bar for the rest of the movie. Yep. And then he uh, has to be a good policeman throughout the rest of the movie when everything goes to shit. Did we did we mention the weird? So there's this weird through line of uh, pool hall racism that's going on. And then that culminates about three quarters <laughs> of the movie with a soldier just being like, hey, there's black dudes. Ha ha ha. I'm just joking with you. And then guns them down. <laughs> You're like, OK, well, that's that got weird. fucking dark. <laughs> well, it's the same guys who. uh isn't it the same guys who uh, dropped the uh, hard F word on the reservist guy in his room? Because he had pictures of like a bodybuilders and stuff up on his wall. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think so. And then so then he reverses that and starts calling them that and then just shoots them. So weird. Uh, good old Chuck did have a pretty badass blazer, though. He was driving around in. 
should we should we talk about Shaft being an evil Knievel uh uh stunt writer? I forgot all about all the weird stunt stuff. What in the <laughs> fuck? What in the fuck is this movie? Like <laughs> That first it time is, he tries to do the loop to loop is the most amazing thing ever. Oh my yeah, he falls like straight on his fucking head. <laughs> it's so great. Because I was not expecting it. It just kind of oh, just happened. In watching it, I think a stunt dude really did just ride up upside down and let a fucking motorcycle drop <laughs> on him. Probably. There, there's no other way to film that. No, especially the 70s. Just, no. Like, it was amazing. I just want to see the director be like, yeah, you just need to drive up and then just fall backwards and let the motorcycle land on top of you. So we talk- Do you guys think that there's a possibility that maybe that they was just supposed to ride safely and then they're like, I guess we're adding an accident into the script because we're not giving up that shot? Because <laughs> it doesn't really factor into anything. He just He's like, well, I'll go get the other motorcycle and I'll do it again. And then he does it. And he there's and there's no thing later where he's like, well, I may have to try to ride this loop to loop, and I don't know, I screwed it up the first time. Well, that's what I'm saying. So back. we were talking in Towering Inferno that you know there's little bits and pieces that could have been cut out to short that movie because it was two hours and forty five minutes long. Now this one much shorter at two hours, yeah. but you could have cut 45 fucking minutes out of this movie and it doesn't change this movie. No, like Richard Roundtree's character does not need to be in this movie. No, the whole, I mean, once again, there's a whole fucking side plot about a fucking stunt bike rider in a movie. That's about a goddamn earthquake. What the fuck, man? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, see now if that would have came into play it would have been awesome like he's riding through town has to like ramp over stuff but yeah they don't do anything with it right right yeah if he was if he was riding through the city uh fucking probably what the rock version is where he's fucking (laughs) there's like street falling and he's ramping off of the falling (laughs) fucking concrete like a fucking bike wizard saving people then sure I like the comment of probably what the rock version is. <laughs> well, I'll never watch it because the it's fucking dumb. <laughs> uh, the interesting thing is since uh, this and the Towering Inferno came out um, so close to each other, some theaters were showing it as a double feature and apparently promoting it as a shake and bake double feature. <laughs> <laughs> And how many people died of old age <laughs> trying to make it through? <laughs> that number is higher than this. Yeah, it's almost five hours at a movie theater, which isn't a huge deal, but Jesus. Well, this was another big like event movie. Like, it, it, we're, as weird as it sounds, like it had like stereo sound, which was a big deal back then. <laughs> and it's like they were really playing up this event angle. There's these whole series of disaster movies from the 70s, and they're all produced by the same dude. And that's the idea is that they are these big events. So the idea of putting two of them together is almost insane. Like, is it really a big event if you can do two of them in one night? Like, I don't know. It's a bigger event, Doug. I guess. Yeah, apparently the, the Poseidon it's Adventure. So much fucking movie. 
Since the Poseidon, since the Poseidon adventure did so well, everybody wanted disaster movies. Yeah, which is where these came from. Because this one was like, like when I said they edited it into a TV cut, I was just I was reading up on it, and apparently, like, it was such a big deal that they wanted the sound to work, but people didn't have stereo TVs back then, so they broadcast the sound over radio stations, so you could listen to the radio and like watch your TV with the sound <laughs> off. Oh, to get the right sound of quality and i'm sitting there it, it's hilarious to me because it's also still a 1974 radio like i don't know how good a quality yeah. you're getting out of that you know you know the first time those guys uh saw a thx remastered movie they probably creamed in their jeans <laughs> I know. the old logo popped up Whoa. Oh. sound quality uh <laughs> we should just talking about Lauren Green, who plays Charlton Heston's boss slash uh, father-in-law. Yeah. Who has, who has a heart attack when he gets saved. But then just dies once they get down to the medical place. And it's just sort of like, well, he's dead now. It, is, it was just <laughs> very... They, they literally wheel the gurney off into like a, 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 out of frame and we never see him again. Well, what are they going to do? Bring him back? Is just no. turn the body around? But his daughter's there, and they decide not to tell her because they don't want freak people out before you know everything kind of gets settled or whatever. So there's no scene of her like finding out and then like you know crying over his body or anything. It's just nope, he's dead. He's gone out out of movie. Give him his paycheck. Send him home. <laughs> It was just a very, just very unceremonious and just like, well, he's dead. Not, uh, he had a heart attack. He's recuperating. We'll see him again at the end of the movie situation. Just done and over. Um, I don't know anything else about this movie. Um, no, since I didn't watch enough of it to to comment too much. (laughs) Uh, we're going to have to have an airport month. I know. Did you know there's four of those goddamn movies? Yep. <laughs> and they're all pretty much like these movies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just like one of them is like the airplane crashes and it's underwater the entire movie. It crashes like at the beginning of the movie and it's just <laughs> under there for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I'm looking at the more like this on IMDb for Earthquake and it's like airport, airport 1975, airport 77. Yep. The Concord. <laughs> the Concord, airport 79. We should have found a way to tie this into the Die Hard series since we could have done Towering Inferno with Die Hard and then Airport could be Die Hard 2, which has, I'm sure one of those movies follows a similar plot of like planes are going to crash near the airport. Yeah, and then what do we team up with the third one? I don't know. Just this, because it's random. (laughs) (laughs) Weird random shit. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. All right, what did everybody watch since last week? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> no, it doesn't Seriously? watch stuff anymore. No, it's against watching been, I've been so fucking busy lately. I got no time. I 
got no time to watch movies, which makes me sad. Well, that's a bummer. What did you watch, Doug? Well, you're not going to want to hear this, but <laughs> I really got nothing. Oh. Um, Short episode. I, I actually yeah, watched I, a lot, so. I accidentally rewatched Spaced, but I don't know if we need to get into that again. So. <laughs> <laughs> How do you accidentally rewatch it? I was supposed to watch like one episode a day on my lunch break from work, but then I just watched all of it instead of watching anything else. <laughs> so what are you going to do? Nice. All uh, right. Yeah. I don't uh, know if I like space because I do. That's why I watched it for the fourth time this year. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, who came over and we watched a bunch of movies, um, considering having him watch spaced, but I feel like that's a weird, like, okay, we're going to watch this. Are we going to watch it in one seven hour sitting or we're just going to come yeah, over to my house know. and we keep watching a, a TV series together. That's a little bit weird. I might just want to recommend it to him. And let him do it on his own time. I have, but he hasn't watched it yet. Mm. Um, so my friend did come over. We did watch the movies. Uh, he's, uh, he's 28. So I keep having to educate him on stuff. So I just went through my entire digital collection. I'm like, what have you not seen that you feel like you should have seen? So we just put a folder together of all of his movies. All right. So, and then I showed him some trailers for some other stuff that he didn't even know about. So, uh, we watched, uh, fanboys. Oh, I love fanboys. Which was like a, was it 2009 movie? Yeah, um, the one about their friend dying of cancer and they get yep. to steal the uh, script for the Phantom Menace or whatever. Oh, not the script. They're going to break into Skywalker Ranch and steal a print of the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and he saw the trailer and he's like, this looks pretty fantastic. So we watched that. And uh, that's still a delightful movie. Um, yeah, I've, I really, really like it. Um, I, I watch it pretty regularly as one of my like background movies and I, I, it makes me laugh constantly. The yeah. last, the last line's one of the best last lines of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, wait, you guys, what if it sucks? <laughs> uh, I did like, uh, uh, Seth Rogen's what third character in the movie. Oh, yeah. Was the weird, like, I don't know, pimp guy? And he takes his fucking shirt off and he's got a giant tattoo of Jar Jar. And he's like, this guy's going to be the shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. So, just a lot. Speaking of of a stellar cast, just full of random cameos and stuff, which is always fun. Yeah. Um, Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes show up at some point, I'm assuming, playing themselves. Yes. Kevin Smith's just pipping out Jason Mewes in bath bathrooms to get blown. Yeah, I guess they don't actually use their names at any point, but it's kind of I yeah. took it as them playing themselves. <laughs> like how Muse gets upset when he refer when Kevin refers to his mouth as womanly. <laughs> like, he's not bothered by being pimped out in the bathroom of a gas station, but he's annoyed by being referred to as womanly. <laughs> Uh, we get Carrie Fisher uh, playing a nurse and, you know, lots of Star Wars jokes in there. Fucking uh, 
what's his name? The guy that played Darth Maul shows up as security guard. <laughs> That's probably the best part of the whole movie. <laughs> Uh, Danny McBride shows up right before, or right around the same time. Nobody really knew who Danny McBride was yet. Yeah, no, he wasn't a cameo at the time. He would be if that yeah. came out today. Yeah. So, yeah, just a fun, like, nerd culture movie. There is still a lot of, uh, uh, I didn't realize 2009 really wasn't that long ago, and it was still okay to drop a bunch of, uh, gay slurs in it. Yeah. But, that, that, that's a change that's come quickly in our society. I'm glad it happened, but it yeah. really you realize how quickly that change has happened when you watch stuff that's not that old. Well, and, I, and it's 09, but I think it was made before that because it oh, sat yeah. for a while. Yeah. Because one of the things I like about the movie is that I think it actually does, like the drama element of it does work. This idea of these friends trying to steal this movie so that their friend gets to see it before he passes away. Mm-hmm. Um, but studios didn't like that back then. They were not interested in having a cancer storyline in their movie. So apparently that it sat for a while because they tried to figure out ways to like edit it or fix it so that it wouldn't be about a good dude dying of cancer. But then they just eventually released it yeah. like straight to video or whatever with the cancer yeah. storyline in it. I think it's better for it. I think, I think the comedy I, I works think better. Works. Yeah. Comedies, I think, work better when they have a plot and characters and stuff and just are also funny. Yeah. So, yeah. So he really enjoyed that one. First time I'd watched it in a while and had a really good time watching it. Um, after that, I showed him slaughter high cause he was in the mood for a slasher movie. Yeah. So we watched that. That was a good time. That's a fun uh, one. I haven't uh, seen it since we did it on the previous podcast. Yeah. I now own it in a nice crisp Blu-ray, so you get to see it in all of its goodness. Of course you do. So, yep. It's a nice, did, uh, you then, did you then buy it digitally and watch it that way because you were too lazy to get up and get your Blu-ray? Or? Uh, no, I actually do own it digitally. But the, <laughs> I, but the, but the, the uh, uh, print of it that they used is terrible, the digital one. Oh, really? So I'm just like, well, we're not going to watch this. I'm, let me go get the Blu-ray. Looks way better. Uh, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Um, then he he's a big fan of the original Twilight Zone, but has never really okay. watched any other incarnation of the show, including okay. the including well, the '80s movie. Okay. So he was definitely interested in that. I'm like, all right, well, let's I'll watch the fucking Twilight Zone, the movie. It's got its good stuff and bad stuff, but it's pretty good. Yeah. So we watched that. He had no idea about the John Landis stuff. So after that, that segment, I had to stop and kind of fill him in. Like, yeah, this was a huge, huge thing. It was a, bad for everybody involved, and pretty much uh, brought Landis's career to a screeching halt for a little while. He did still put out some good movies after it. But a lot of people decided not not to work with them after that. Um, so he enjoyed it, and then. Uh, I pulled up a couple episodes of the 80s TV show because he's never seen any of them. Oh, which ones did you watch? So we watched Button Button because that one's one of my favorite ones. That one's, I mean, it's probably arguably the best. Yeah. For sure. Um, And then I showed him the uh, skit online that I think Noah pointed out to us before. 
where the guy's like, okay, if you push this button, somebody will die. And the guy just keeps hitting it <laughs> over and over again. Stop pushing the button. You've killed like 16 people. Uh, then we watched uh, Dealer's Choice, I think it's called. And it's the, the one with Morgan Freeman, uh, Garrett Morris, Emmett Walsh, and the guy who plays Seinfeld's dad playing okay. poker. And then the dad from Clueless shows up. They don't really, like he's sitting in for one of their friends who couldn't make it. And they make it pretty obvious really quick that he's the devil and he's actually there to take one of their souls with him. Okay. So they start coming up with different ways to play poker for it. Try to outsmart him. This is a little bit more of a comedic one, but it's a lot of fun. And, you know, Garrett Morris and Morgan Freeman are just fucking hilarious the entire time. It's definitely worth a watch. Uh, and then I showed him Children's Zoo. Because that one freaked me the fuck out when I was a kid. It's only like a five-minute one because, you know, sometimes they'd have those weird times where like, oh, this uh, this segment was only 15 minutes long, so we'll throw in a five-minute segment too. Yeah. But this girl has her parents who argue all the time, and she gets some weird invitation from a kid at school and to go to this children's zoo, and her parents take her, but they're fighting like the entire time. They split off into the parents' engine entrance and the children's entrance and it turns out what it is is for her to go and pick a new set of parents and for some reason just these parents like locked up in like a uh like a glass room essentially just creep me out now it's obviously comedic and hilarious but when i was a kid it just weirded me out for some reason and uh west craven makes cameos one of the parents oh, that's fun oh yeah yeah the he directed a bunch of episodes of the first season and actually the dealer's choice one he directed that one so okay uh, i gotta go back and rewatch some of that 80s stuff because i remember enjoying it and i revisited some of it like in the early 2000s and i liked certain episodes so yeah yeah it's obvious when you see the west craven episodes that he is like a league above just about everybody else who's directing episodes Okay. One of my other favorites that he did was the the lady who uncovers the sundial necklace in her garden, and when she yells "shut up," like time freezes. Yeah. Then you see her just use that throughout her daily life. That was a lot of fun. I remember watching one that had like a leprechaun in it, and really enjoying that. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen that one. I have no recollection of it though. Uh, let's see. Uh, for an article I had to write, I rewatched Piranha 2, The Spawning. Okay. Which, the first time I watched it, like years ago, did not enjoy it. For some reason, this time around, I didn't mind it. <laughs> it's gradually getting a little better. Yeah. If you watch it a few more times, it'll be a good movie. Uh, yeah, it'll be a good movie. Uh, so I had to do a bunch of research into the movie and stuff, and it was just funny, because... It's credited as being directed by Jim James Cameron, who got fired five days on after the movie started and then was directed by somebody else. And it was a weird, like, he had gotten the option to make Piranha 2, took it to Warner Brothers, or one of their small, like, labels inside Warner Brothers. And they agreed to, but to give him, like, 500 grand to make the movie. But it had to have an American director. And so he was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, no problem. And this producer 
was the same guy that directed Tentacles. So he was also a director and like doing these Jaws ripoff movies. Yeah. It's like his thing. Yeah. So he hired James Cameron. Uh, claimed that James Cameron, all the stuff he was shooting was, uh, didn't edit together properly, fired him, and then just directed the rest of the movie himself, which turns out was his ultimate goal. Just bring in some director with no experience, fire him, and then just do the rest of it yourself. And weirdly, because Lance Henriksen said it, Lance Henriksen said, weirdly, they got paid 500 grand to make the movie, you know, for the budget. But for some reason, the movie only cost $300,000 to make. I don't know where the other 200,000 went. Yeah. I've heard about that. <laughs> so, you know, it was just a bunch of just the movie itself, like flying piranhas is, are just not super great. But for some reason, there's some scenes that aren't terrible and enjoyed it this time around yeah i haven't seen it in a while but i don't think i hated it i just it's one of those ones where it's like i think the problem is the first one's pretty good and then you watch that second mm-hmm. one and you're like yeah back to back it doesn't really hold up but you watch it on its own it's a little different right yeah there is a scene in the morgue where they're this lady and a guy are sneaking in to look at this body that had been found and had like bite marks all over it and then a nurse comes in and is like, what are you doing here? And they run out. And the nurse is like looking at the body and the stomach's open. And then the something starts squirming around. And it turn out, turns out there's still a piranha inside of it after it's been in the morgue for like 10 hours. And it flies out and bites her. But if you look at the setup and how it plays out, you can tell that he totally ripped off his own shot. Because it's one of the scenes that James, James Cameron did shoot. That he ripped it off and reused it in Aliens. Because if oh, you yeah. look at it, you could tell. It's like, oh, that's a chestburster. That's what that is. And then it flies out. And he would have reused that for, like, the facehuggers and whatever. So it's just interesting to see the stuff that he then took and reused in other movies in a, a much better, much better movie than what this one was. I find sometimes that's just as much fun as anything else. It's just watching a, a, a film made by a, a famous filmmaker like before they got famous kind of thing and just being able to watch for the details. And I always find that fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for some reason, he showed up, James Cameron showed up for the post-production stuff. I don't know why. I mean, I've heard he's kind of hard-headed, so maybe he's just like, no, this is my fucking movie. I'm still going to work on it. And they're like, all right, whatever. So he flew himself to Rome and saw the edit that they were putting together. And he's like, this is fucking terrible. So apparently he would break into the editing bay at night and re-edit the movie. And they caught him doing it. And so they kicked him out and just recut it back to what the the original way they had it. (laughs) It's super weird to me how many movies have somebody just trying to get away with um, editing them like as if people are just going to let them do that and every, and it's weird every now and again you hear stories about how it worked and you're like I don't understand like that's even weirder <laughs> like why would you even watch it if somebody edited it unofficially you know but they do yeah um, and apparently he was he had no money because he all of his upfront money for the movie he used to buy the ticket to fly to Rome so he's staying at this hotel or whatever had no money to eat so he was just randomly eating leftovers that people were leaving outside their room to have 
room service takeaway. And then apparently got really gross. Then apparently got really sick. Shocker. And had a really bad fever and had a weird dream of like a metallic torso, like dragging itself across the kitchen floor with a kitchen knife and then turn that into Terminator. All right. So if anything worked out, I'd say at least something good came out of this movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't nearly as bad as I remember it being. I just remember hating it, but barely remembered anything about the actual movie when I rewatched it. So it wasn't too bad. Maybe I maybe I'll rewatch it. Maybe I'll put it on the list now, just to see if I can make you rewatch it and gradually <laughs> so watch it again. Eventually, it'll, it'll, we'll we'll cover it like four times, and eventually, like this is my favorite movie. <laughs> I don't see how that could go wrong. <laughs> Sounds like a perfect plan. Piranha two month. <laughs> Piranha and Piranha two. Piranha and Piranha two, and then we'll do uh, the re- the nineteen ninety five remake and Piranha two, and then we'll do. Double D and, and then we'll do the <laughs> sequel to that with this. There you go. There's your month. See, works out. Uh, then we went and saw Licorice Pizza, which is Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to think. I don't think I've ever watched a Paul Thomas Anderson movie before. Uh, I was trying to like think back of like what I would have seen, and nothing's come to mind. Nothing is coming to my mind either. Mm-hmm. now I'm curious because it feels like I should have seen a bunch of his movies but now I don't know if I have I guess I've seen Boogie Nights okay yeah me too uh, I don't know if I've ever actually seen that all the way through start to finish no, no. looks like we're covering movies about porn nope <laughs> we just gotta do porn night yep. uh, <clears throat> so this one takes place in the 70s in California and I think it's just like a, uh, not necessarily a biography, but just like a nostalgic piece for him of him growing up in California. And it's this kid who's like done a couple acting gigs and stuff, but he's like a really like smooth talker. So he's able to like almost con his way into a bunch of stuff. And he meets this girl who's taking his school pictures because he's only 15. She's 25. And somehow convinces her to start hanging out with him. And so then it's just like uh, the next, like, I don't know. The movie's really long. It, it's almost too long. I don't even know how long it is, but um, it's almost just like kind of a meandering, like they somehow get into this situation and then, you know, that situation went badly and then we'll just move on to another situation. Like at some point he decide he hears, he walks into a store and they're selling a waterbed and it's like waterbeds aren't a thing yet, but this place is like one of the first places to get one. And he's like, lays down on, he's like, this is amazing. And somehow buys like a shit ton of waterbeds to sell for a new business. And it ends up being pretty profitable. But then like the, uh, the oil shit hits like in the seventies where they had the, fuel problem yeah and then they realize all the waterbeds are made out of vinyl which takes oil to produce so then the market kind of drops out of it so then he like gets out of that and then starts something else and then just sort of them like almost becoming like almost dating but not because you know she's 25 and he's 15 
Okay. Then she'll start dating someone else and then he'll get jealous and then he'll date somebody else and she'll get jealous and it kind of goes back and forth. But it's just kind of a movie about stuff happening, but no real plot. Yeah. So sometimes, I mean, that's good, but I don't know. Like I thought it was okay, but definitely way too long, especially after watching, <laughs> watching two other long ass movies this week. It was two hours and 13 minutes. All right. If you're well, wondering. Seemed even longer than that. I thought it was at least two 30 for sure. Well, his movies are very slow paced. I was looking at yeah. the list cause I was wondering what I have seen of his and I've seen there will be blood and I've seen uh, punch drunk love. Mm-hmm. And both of those are very slow paced movies. Yeah. I like punch. Drunk Certainly. Love. I liked it when I saw it. And to be honest, I haven't seen it. it probably when it was new, it was when I saw it. Um, so I'd, I'd be interested in rewatching it sometime to see if I still like it. Yeah. I always wanted to check that one out. Never did. It's kind of a, a little bit of a fart sniffing artsy fartsy movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, so is this one. So yeah. it's all right. But uh, it, I mean, it was, it was good. And I feel like it's one of those films that people shat on it. Cause they were like, Adam Sandler's not being funny. Yeah. It was a, a different time, whereas like now when he does something dramatic, everyone gets excited by it, but not then. No. Um, so Liquor's Peace is pretty good. I mean, if you're a Paul Thomas Anderson fan, I'm assuming you've probably already seen it, but like, yeah, it's fine. Um, weirdly, I've heard someone compare it more towards of of just being a sort of this weird relic of old Hollywood sort of like uh, once upon a time in Hollywood and they feel that it does it better because it's a little That's more realistic rather than hyper reality kind of like, or even nostalgic flashback like Quentin likes to do sometimes. Um, I will say my favorite part of the movie, and this is for a reason that has nothing to do with this movie is they go to install a waterbed at this dude's house. It's played by Bradley Cooper and it turns out he's playing a real person who is John Peters. People don't know who John Peters is. He's a producer <laughs> that Kevin Smith has talked about a lot. But when Kevin Smith wrote a Superman movie, this weird producer made him come over to his house and read it to him out loud. And he's just told uh, hilarious stories about this guy, like for the past, like 20 years. And well, he still produces like the DC shit, I think. Or yes. some of it. Yep. He sure does. So he, like his name is on Batman versus Superman. And he's mm-hmm. also was uh, you know, gonna be responsible for Nick Cage as Superman. So <laughs> that's how long he's been screwing shit up. Uh so Bradley Cooper plays him and he plays him like a fucking maniac, which made it <laughs> even better. I assume he is a maniac based on what I know about the guy. The great thing is, because if you've heard that Kevin Smith story, there's a scene where they show up to, to install and they have this big box truck with all the stuff in the back. They show up to install this waterbed. It is, it is, you know, pretty sizable house. And the thing is they loaded up the truck and went to leave and they realized they were out of gas and we're in the middle of, fucking fuel shortage so it took them forever so they ended up being late and he's like and so he shows up and he's all pissed off and he's like you guys are late you were supposed to be here earlier and he starts talking to the main kid and he's like i have to go i have to get in my car i have to go to the movies to go hang out with my girlfriend do you know who my girlfriend is no barbara streisand 
And then they spend like the next like five minutes of some weird back and forth joke that the kid can't pronounce her name correctly. Like <laughs> he's putting like just like a weird T in the middle of her last name. And so it literally is just Bradley Cooper and this kid going Streisand. Streisand? No, Streisand. Just like going back and forth for like a couple minutes. It's weird, but whatever. But he's he's kind of tearing this kid in a new asshole. But then he leans over and puts his hand on the shoulder and he's like, look, I didn't realize it, but we're both from the streets. And Kevin Smith, <laughs> Kevin Smith has talked about that John Peters told him that. He's like, you know how we're going to do this? Because we're both from the streets. <laughs> Kevin Smith was always like, I'm, I'm from A Street. I don't know if I'm from the streets. <laughs> But, so they throw that well, that line in there, and it just kills. It killed me. I was the only person in the theater laughing at that line, but I didn't care. <laughs> like that's so fucking funny. So what's really interesting about that is like Kevin Smith has also told lots of Paul Thomas Anderson stories. Yes, about how he fucking trashed what was whatever the Magnolia or something like that. Yeah. Is that was that him? Yeah. yeah. And then he just runs into Paul Thomas Anderson like a couple <laughs> days later at like a doctor's office or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and he's like, man, the guy was so nice about it. Like he was a good sport. And like, I never occurred to me that I'd see the guy after I trashed his movie or whatever. And it's like, Oh my God. He has since on his podcast said that he he's like, I was definitely up my own ass about movies, so I probably shouldn't have been a jerk about Magnolia or whatever. So he's come around. But but yeah, it's just weird just to hear that line in the movie and then laugh out loud and realize that nobody else gets the joke. So it's just yeah. like, all right. Oh, I might watch this movie now just for that. <laughs> There's a whole big extended scene of Bradley Cooper playing John Peters, and it's pretty fantastic. He has this weird, like, really aggressive, like, walk to him and stuff. And I um, might find that clip on the line and not have to watch the whole movie, <laughs> but still get to see it. So that might be my goal. So you know, you may enjoy it, may not. It's just a weird, like. Mid seventies, fifteen year old kid trying to have a relationship with a twenty five year old movie. So take that for whatever, whatever you will, I guess. Uh, and then earlier today, for another article I had to write, I rewatched uh, The Devil's Backbone, the Guillermo del Toro oh, movie. Nice. And uh, yeah, that's, I, a, that's a tough job you got there. Getting forced know, to right? watch amazing movies. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so I rewatched that. I actually haven't watched it in a while, but um, still holds up. Still is great. Still beautiful. Um, I was actually just trying to figure out how to put that on our list of movies to watch, so I'd have a reason to rewatch it because I haven't seen yeah. it in a while either. It's so yeah. good. Yeah, I thoroughly still enjoyed it. Um, still great. Like I said, I haven't watched it in a while, so I, I couldn't remember a lot of the plot points like around the sort of ghost story that was going on. So some of that no, stuff like I, was, I remember really visuals fun. and atmosphere more than I remember anything else. Right. Yeah. Cause that's the basis of that movie. Yeah. And for, I mean, being, I don't remember what year the movie came out, but for what being, uh, 2001, okay. even being that old, like the CG and stuff in it still looks amazing. Yeah. Like the way that he did that, crack in the ghost head and the blood 
flowing out yeah. and stuff still this is just incredible to look at that like blood so, flowing upwards instead of downwards in that yeah. one scene that it, oh my god yeah and he's still surrounded by like weird like particles in the water or whatever even though he's technically not in the water yeah yeah, yeah. And you can sort of see his bones through him because he's transparent and stuff yeah it's still looks amazing so some of his earlier work is just incredible like his his current stuff is still really good but i mean he's obviously a big enough name now that he can get a budget to pretty much do whatever especially after he won an oscar a couple years ago so it's just it's amazing to go back to his older stuff where he was just throwing whatever money he could get together and it still looks as amazing as it does Oh. Yeah, and it's what's fascinating is how good it looks like on the technology they had at the time, and the fact that he wasn't even making like films for an American market at that time. Like it's mm. amazing. Yeah. So so that was that was good. Obviously, I really enjoyed that. Um, makes me want to go back and want to rewatch Chronos because I haven't watched that in a while either. Well, it's on the list. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess, I guess the two other things I could talk about is, uh, finally rewatch, finally watch the uh, second half of the messes, the universe series from Kevin Smith. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Still enjoy it. Still think it's good. Still I agree. Don't understand why people whine about there not being enough He-Man in it. Like, I feel like the story was decent enough to kind of push me through all of it. So Definitely curious to see what the next season's going to bring. Uh, we finally got fucking Ram Man. I was wondering where Ram Man was at in the first <laughs> half of the season. Because <laughs> that, was, that was one of my favorite toys. He's got those springy legs. And I'm just like, why the fuck is he not in this show? And then he does show up. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, you do get a lot more of Mark Hamill's Skeletor, which is definitely a bonus. Yeah. But they do... <laughs> They do have a weird moment where they pretty much say out loud without actually saying it that Skeletor and Evil Lynn fuck all the time. Yeah, well, (laughs) it is a Kevin Smith script. (laughs) I know, but it was just like, wow, really? So we're just going to be this blatant about it. Sure. Like, even though this is still kind of dark and stuff, I mean, the seal feels like it should be for like kids, but it's just like, nope. They're totally talking about how they fuck sometimes. It really doesn't want to be about for kids at all. Like it doesn't do that. The closest thing yeah. to saying it's for kids is that it's for people who enjoyed the first series as kids. Sure. But I feel like it, it's, it's almost presented as like you can sit down with your kids and now watch it. But I don't know. Yeah. But would your kid get that? About how, like, uh, oh, you know, when we're not trying to murder He-Man, let's do the other thing we enjoy doing all the time, and then she straddles him on the throne. They yeah, might get it. Be, I don't know. Because kids are pretty good at, like, I think they understand that they don't understand. So, like, right. when something like that happens, that wouldn't immediately make sense to them. They just kind of move past it and wait for the next fight scene. All right. That's fine, I guess. It's just just kind of a weird moment that I'm like, oh, so we're full on saying that people fuck in this cartoon. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not saying, but like I've been watching some of the more complicated Avengers movies with my kid Mm -hmm. and 
he's pretty good at like in Civil War. He's like, I don't really know what's going on because it's just too complicated of a plot line for a five year old. But then like he's like, are they going to fight again soon? I'm like, yeah, he's like, cool. I'll put up with this for a little while. <laughs> Spider-Man shows up, right? Yep. OK. <laughs> Spider-Man shows up and makes Sam and Bucky look embarrassing. Yeah. Well, then like when I showed him Endgame, because I showed him Endgame before Infinity War, because I needed him to know that Spider-Man was coming back before I could watch Spider-Man disappear. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, he's like, I don't understand. Dad. He's like, it's awesome that all the Avengers are here, but I don't understand what, where all these, there's like a portals opening up from where, from who. And I'm like, just, it's, it's complicated, buddy. <laughs> and he's like trying to explain time. I'm trying to explain the time travel to him. And I'm like, yeah, even the directors didn't understand the time travel rules in this movie. So you're not expected to. It's like, don't worry. At some point, Ant-Man's going to grow into giant man and punch one of those flying things in the face. That's all you yeah. have to worry about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last thing I watched was uh, we finished season two of Tiger King, which we had not gotten oh, yeah. around to watching. Yeah, I don't feel like there was a whole lot of new information. No. There was... Uh, I mean, I guess we do learn more about that horrible Jeff guy. And then last episode, we see that all of his animals got taken away and he's basically in trouble now. But I don't know. Turns out there might not be a really good way for just random rednecks to raise tigers. That might be impossible to do that (laughs) in a a way that really cares for the animals properly. Yeah. So maybe people shouldn't just own tigers anymore. Yeah, I agree. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. All right, Noah, what are we watching next week? Uh, we are going to watch The Haunting and The Legend of Hell House. All right. Noah was asking before, Doug, since you put these on the list, if this was the 60s haunting or the 90s haunting. Well, if it's the 90s haunting, then I'm calling in sick next week, so we might as well make it the 60s <laughs> Well, my answer was it's definitely the 60s one, because if it's yeah, the 90s one, me and Noah will be vetoing that and going for the 60s one. Uh, no, it was definitely intended to be the <laughs> 60s version. Yeah. Um, yeah. Should be interesting, because I feel like both of these movies are very similar. I... I feel that way too, to the point where I think I've seen one of them, but I don't know which one. Yeah. It's part of how they ended up on the list together. Uh, that and I just wanted to watch them. Sure. Uh, especially since uh, I believe Noah's seen it too. We've all watched The Haunting of Hill House and how that and The Haunting oh, yeah. are based on the same story. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to watch that. Yeah. And, so, uh, I think at, at one point I was planning to watch this movie and read that book. And then now I'm just probably going to watch the movie. So. Yeah, it was right right after I watched that series because I was so impressed with it. <laughs> and then uh, Richard Matheson wrote uh, The Haunting of Hell House. Yeah. Uh, and Richard Matheson is awesome. So definitely. it's really almost a, a guarantee I'm going to enjoy something that he wrote. It's fascinating how good he is at writing these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love Richard Matheson. So um, this may end up making me go back and pick up. Because I have a collections of his short stories that I've never gotten all the way through, so mm-hmm. maybe this will give me a push to go finish all them. That's a good idea. I like his short stories a lot too. Mm. <clears throat> all 
Anything else we should talk about before we sign off? Extremely uh, early. I got I got nothing, guys. <laughs> Sorry, it's just a, it was just a slow week. Yeah. Um, we watched the longest movies in the world, and they recorded a short podcast about them. That's funny. <laughs> Is that anything? Sure. The uh, if if we were if we were watching the towering inferno, we would still have an hour and two minutes before <laughs> it was over. <laughs> Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.